Dion Major, and you're listening to the Sass Holes. Welcome to Sass Holes. With a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Justin, KG, myself, Peter, dedicated to helping sales leaders or aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no bullshit approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Please subscribe on our YouTube channel. Subscribe. Go like this, guys. Boom, boom, boom. It's a difference between three people and 3,000 people partaking in this knowledge. Today, our guest is Dion Major. Dion is the CEO and founder of Inside Sales by Design, founded by Dion in 2014 for those that want to build an inside sales team the right way the first time. Inside Sales by Design is also for those that want to transform their current team from order takers to sales gurus, from ho-hum to going out of their way to delight their customers and prospects. Dion does this by creating and optimizing your inside sales infrastructure and then onboarding and coaching your people to use and operate within this new system the most effective way possible. But before we get to Dion, we got some Patreon love to dish out. Our business supporters, hey, unlock key account growth with Demand Farm, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Iron Man. Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at Winalytics. Ask for Brent and say Big Pete sent you. We'd also like to thank Aaron, Jane, Trenes for their support. It's a real ego boost. Thanks, guys. And for all of you out there, again, if you have the means, visit us on Patreon slash Sassholes. You can buy us a beer or you can use us to sit and you can practice your budget meeting. Hey, you're going to ask for a raise? You might as well practice on us. We won't pull any punches. And again, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hey, uh, Carney. Uh, Pete, yeah. KG. Didn't we give you some jokes? Yes. A pun to play on words in a limerick, walk into a bar. No joke. Leave us some comments <laughs> on our blog at sassholes.net. Got any shout outs, KG? I do. Just some nice guy shout outs. Happy birthday to Leon Dame, a former ZipRecruiter guy moving into director and VP positions. And it's a happy birthday to him. Happy birthday to my good friend, Bob Bova. Uh, 30 years ago, he let me live with him in uh, Orange County when I first moved down here. And then happy birthday to my favorite VP of inside sales, Peter Sharippa at ZipRecruiter. Keep on doing what you're doing, Pete. I'll try to. Oh, never mind. Carney. Uh, Zach Sakura got promoted to Chief Revenue Officer at People AI. So give him Where a shout go, out. He was also, he was also a, a. I thought he was already a, a CRO. No, he was VP of Sales. And uh, then Olivia Cameron uh, being promoted to Senior Project Manager at People AI. And Matt Sullivan, one year at Slack. There are a bunch of others, but Pete, you wrote, like, get ready. We're going to sit here for 20 minutes while you read off yours. Well, if we had more people coming to the show by you sharing stuff, Cardi, I wouldn't have to do this. Hey, Brandon <laughs> Janda, starting a new position as vice president, CBiz Gibraltar Real Estate Services. I'm sure I said that right. Jeff Dillman shared about starting a new position as vice president of sales at Full Throttle. Jeff Dillman was my first uh, sales guy selling 468 by 60 banners back on headhunter.net back in the day. 
in the 90s. How you like that? Bill Dewanian. God dang it. Shared about starting a new position as regional VP at Enterprise Sales at Slack. Joe Farnsworth, starting a new position as customer success manager at commercial at Financial Force. Michelle Grimmer shared about being promoted to director of business development at Salesforce. Chris Wilderberg, happy birthday, Chris. You guys remember Chris? Hey, Yannick White, three years at Broadbean. He's been at uh, Career Builder a long time, hasn't he, Carney? Yeah, long but time. Only three, three years at Broadbean. I think you're not counting his Kerbaler time. He was running Kerbaler and then he moved over to Broadway. Hey, man, I'm reading LinkedIn. Okay. It says uh, three years at Broadway. I know he's been around. He's the uh, English, UK dude. Yep. All right. So, so KG, how do you know uh, Dion Major? I've known Dion, I want to say, for about 14 years, approximately, yeah. certainly more than 10. Yeah. And um, we met. Just like many of the people in my network, I met her through the American Association of Inside mm -hmm. Sales Professional. And one at one point in time, Dion was the president of the Orange County chapter of the AAISP. Are you still that? You know what? Uh, I stepped away and then stepped back in and we have a, a next chapter meeting May 11th, next Thursday. Okay. All yeah. right. Wow. So you're back in it. So we, at one point in time, we both were chapter presidents. Yeah. I was LA, she was Orange County. And, uh, and I came down there and presented one time uh, yeah. for, uh, for one of her chapter meetings and, uh, and Dion and I have hit it off ever, ever since. Uh, she's, Absolutely. uh, she's like the, the SoCal me, I'm like the NorCal or the, 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 uh, the, uh, West side her. I, I don't know yeah. how to how to describe it, but we yeah. in, inside sales died in the wool. She's been in software sales for a oh long time. And I have major, major, major respect for Dion Major. How about that? Oh, very nice. Likewise, Kevin. Thank you. How did you get to where you are today? Oh man, such a, uh, yeah. So in the nutshell, 20 years inside sales, um, and sales and in the tech world, and then grew up outside of Chicago. So spent my my still have family there and all that good stuff. Three years in Seattle, and now here in Southern California since 2007. So almost 15 years. I've known you almost as long as I've lived here, Kevin. I think so, that's right. I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a part of me that I, I love the, the the definition of selling is helping. And I like that definition, the, the, the old school, do you want the red pen, blue pen, Wolf of Wall Street thing just literally makes my skin crawl. <laughs> um, and it's not to say that people, that that approach doesn't work. And some people like that approach, right? They, they expect that from salespeople, which is fine. Um, but that's, that's not it. Um, that's not my mode. And so um, building inside sales teams was kind of the best of all worlds at the end of the day, where combined the efficiency right? That it is near and dear to my heart from my upbringing and how I'm raised and the ability to really help people that want to be helped. Cool. So in inside sales though, in Chicago, if you started in Chicago, how'd you not cross paths with uh, Pete Jansen's, the guy who basically hired and taught all of Chicago and in inside sales? It, it very well. Yeah. So my very first job out of college was working for the Chicago Software Association. Yeah. How long ago you been in LA? The Chicago's rubbed off you. You're smiling too much. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's been a while. So my family is still back there. I've got family there. And my husband's family is in Indiana. And my mom is in Texas. She's in San Antonio. Everywhere. I mean, can you still handle objections being in L.A. that long? <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to buy. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Where's no, the sushi? 
Yeah, I see. I can't even do sushi, right? And so a lot of it and a lot of what we do, especially since COVID and stuff, right? The training, the onboarding, what we do at Inside Sales by Design is a lot of the fundamentals. And a lot of that comes in like, okay, do you know how to read? Everything is open book, right? And so we, for example, we'll create team purpose statements and we'll say, all right, what's the company's mission statement? Nobody ever knows what it is. And I'm like, you guys, Al Gore invented Mm -hmm. for a reason, get there. Right. So, and then people are like, who's Al Gore? And I'm like, oh my gosh. So <laughs> there's, there's an interesting mode and, and world going on. Right. But um, so a part of me, just the way the world is working these days, there's a lot of feedback and pushback on certain things where I'm like, Hey, let's create your purpose statement. Let's do role play. And here's the parameters. Here's what we're going to do. And then there's, there's inevitably someone who says, wait, I don't understand. What are we doing? And I'm like, you're the one who thinks you're all that in a bag of donuts. So we, we have to kind of untangle and go through the, the break, the breakdown to get to the breakthrough. So, so is that, so inside sales by design companies are hiring you. That's sort of how you guys help you break down their inside sales. Do you, do you set it up or do you analyze what they're doing today and how they can be more efficient? How does that work? Yeah, we do both. And so we have a scorecard that we work with folks on. And again, just to kind of get people aligned on thinking and, and it's a good starting place. Like here are these seven things that we should think about everything from a team purpose statement to reporting. Um, So we teach concepts. um, We teach it in such a way where it's from a teacher perspective, we are introing teaching and applying And then we walk through our learners saying, hey, right now you need to learn, create and execute. And those line up. So we kind of have a teacher's edition and then we have the student edition at the end of the day. And um, that's all in a book coming out at the end of the year as well. Go ahead. It's more like enablement, like inside sales enablement. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is really interesting. You say that because what we're seeing in the marketplace from a trend is exactly that where organizations are starting to pick up on, they need sales enablement. So we're really at this fun juncture of turning into almost sales enablement as a service. for folks. Yeah. I think enablement is probably the most underfunded yes. uh, misappropriately used half the, half the, uh, enablement teams out there are former salespeople that just say, Hey, this is how I sold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Enable people besides just the blind squirrel will find a nut. Success. Yeah. You can't replicate that. So yeah. 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 And I've, I've always, I've always been confused. Help me out here. What, what's the difference between sales enablement, sales training, onboarding and coaching? Those are all separate things. And we, you know, nowadays it's like, uh, it's like the word du jour, sales enablement. It sounds so nice and snowflakey, but what's the distinction between, you know, training and coaching and onboarding? Like what's the word enablement mean? Yeah. And, you know, and I think there's a lot of confusion and ambiguity, right? And so that's one of the things we do is let's level set on some definitions. And so when we talk with folks, it's sales enablement is the umbrella term. And underneath that umbrella is all of the components and the Mm. difference between training and there's a difference between training and education. So education is when we are teaching training is when we're doing. Mm. So before I go learn a new exercise at the gym, I'm going to do some, some, some education. I might find a YouTube video. I might ask around, I might understand it. I might study it to know what I'm doing. So I don't go and hurt myself. Mm. Right. 
And then training is when I actually go and do it. Hmm. And if I need help to make that particular motion more effective, or maybe I'm, I hurt myself, I must be doing something wrong. Then I'm going to go and I'm going to get a coach. Hmm. Right. So enablement is an umbrella term, right? It's like a house. I have a house right? But in my house, I might have a bedroom. So I'm going to go sleep in my bedroom. I'm going to cook in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. So it's really compartmentalizing and having a standard definitions for some of those. So that's how we present it and how we roll it out to teams. And so we have the intro teach and apply. You're going to learn and you're going to create. And we, we couch it that way for folks as well. No pun intended with that. What's the best way to, uh, put content together so that people will consume it nowadays? Like how, how long are the training sessions? Uh, how long will they pay attention to collect all the cell phones <laughs> at the beginning? Like, help, help me out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, so there's, again, what we, we always take a step back and I'm a big John Wooden fan. So we always start with, we're, I, you know, we all need a refresher at certain points, right? So um, when we take that step back, And we talk about, here's the learning pyramid and the learning pyramid, the inverted learning pyramid, right? We retain 10% of what we hear and read. And then as you move up the learning pyramid, it ends with participation in an activity, which garners you hundred percent, right? So that's how we, we coach individuals to say, when you have content, you're rolling out, you need to follow the learning pyramid. Because to your point, KG and Jamie, so many times now I was like, hey, there's a bunch of videos. You're just going to sit and watch videos for onboarding. And then you're going to come out and you're going to be this amazing salesperson. No, because on the learning pyramid, that's at like between the 20, 30, 40% retention rate. So that's how we do it, Pete. We put together content. Um, I have a bunch of it from a fundamental perspective and there's just so much out there right now. So you kind of go through, you do some content curation, the organization might have some, you standardize on that. That goes into a sales skills matrix, right? So there's a kind of this whole layering process at the end of the day, when you think about it. So you have your initial piece, version one through version 401. That's a What's it called? Course. The re- reverse classroom? Like the kids that are taught in school today. I mean, you, you do all the homework, you do watch the videos and all that stuff. And then you come in and you apply it in the classroom. Is that yeah. what's going on in sales training today? Or am I off base? No, I think that's true. I, I you know, um, We've all sat through sales training that has really, really, really sucked and been terrible, right? We're onboarding a team right now where one of the individuals just sat through 30 days of being talked at. And that's just not how that works. We're sales professionals. We talk for a living. They have to talk. So one of the questions you had was, we will deliver a concept. The average attention span, shouldn't you shouldn't um, teach anything for more than 45 minutes, yeah. It's just the way it works. Right. And we're all in back to back to back to back to back zoom calls. Everybody, you know, you got to take a break and it hurts your head. So there's, there's a physical issues that come with our environment these days. And even what, even if you're in person, so 45 minutes, you introduce the concept, you teach the concept, you turn it over to them to create some examples, tee up the role play and you have them talk. So there's a doing component. So when I teach with folks and I, and I train sales leaders, like there's a two and a four and a with you teach two, mm. you teach four, and then you do a with, right? A, so, a, a with? Yeah. What's that? 
So when you say, all right, we're going to do role play, let's do it together. We're going to do it with each other. Oh, with, okay. Yeah. And so it's really about, um, this kind of gets me into some, backs me into a corner every once in a while, but I'm like, it's not necessarily the content itself. It's being able to deliver the concept and the how-to, and then having the team execute against it to be successful, right? So the what is important, it's not as important as the how and the delivery. Hmm. We, we kind of structure the quantitative and the qualitative. Do you think role play is the most important thing you can do in sales training? 100%, yes. Everyone hates it though. You know, and KG, if I had a nickel- Why does that matter? <laughs> which yeah. which which part which, which part why did whether they hate it or not well right no it's you, you know it's so funny you're still gonna that, do it you, you'd so funny well if you're a strong leader yeah like yeah. I, if you're not then you're not a leader so so dion and justin you'll appreciate this one of my one of my clients wanted me to um transcribe one of their their demonstrations and turn it into like a script for them you know yeah. it's like a 45 minute demonstration and so i so i did that and uh and it's 20 pages <laughs> 20 pages with screenshots and direction like go here go here go here and they came back to me and they said well, what am I, what are we supposed to do with this and i said you need to teach them and yeah. then you need to role play with them on this and i you know this is going to date, date me but i remember back in the day the Xerox salespeople had a, like a 20 page script that they had to learn. And it's like, and I, and I, and at the end of the day, Justin, what I say to these clients is you choose the kind of environment that you choose, uh, choose to teach in. Is it the kind of environment where you give them the tools to be successful and go, you don't have to do it. It's okay. I mean, it's 20 pages. This is supposed to be the best way to do it, but you know, you don't have to, or do you have the discipline like a well-oiled machine um, and instill that in your team and say, this is the way that we do it here. This is how yes. demonstrations are, are done here. And, and you, you choose what kind yes. of disciplined sales team you, you have or, or not, right, Dion? 100%. It's you get to create the culture you have. And so we do um, a, um, a session on managing versus leading. And in there is the culture. And we talk about, um, I heard Carla Harris speak and she wrote the book, Strategize to Win and um, a couple others. And so in there, in that talk, it was such an amazing talk. Um, she was like, pick three words that are going to describe you and walk that walk and talk that talk, hmm. right? What culture do you have? What expectations do you have? So that goes into our onboarding deck as well. And then we coach the sales leaders to deliver those messages, right? Here are the expectations. This is a team and this is what we do and how we do it, right? You have to call it out. So after... So I got a question. So after somebody enables a inside sales team, what is the best way for them to manage and validate that those sales reps are doing the right activities? Yeah. So what technology <laughs> should they be using? What technology do you think they should be using? Is there anything out there? You know, I always hear people go, oh, activity leads to dollars. But what else are you supposed to manage these people on sometimes with, yeah. without it being activity then? Yeah, so, a lot of trust that needs to go out there, but it seems like there's no oversight that people want. Yeah, and well, into what Justin and KG were saying, right? It's it's the accountability, it's the discipline. Be a leader, inspect what you expect, right? We all know that, but then people are like, "Oh, I don't want to be the bad guy." Then don't be a leader. Yeah, right. So you—that's your job. That's my job as a mom. That's my job as a leader. It's the same thing. 
right? My kids don't like half the things I say. I don't really care, right? Because I'm like, I have to make you roommate ready and an adult, right? So it's the same thing with, with our teams where it's like, hey, this is what gets you better. This is a known best practice. This is what is, needs to happen, right? And so I think, Jamie, to your point is once you start putting together your expectations, right? We always say, oh, hey, show me your KPIs. And for the love of God, stop measuring everything, right? That's ridiculous. So what are the top three things that are most important? And then you can start peeling back. However, all of that then goes to, do you have a sales skills matrix? What are your hard skills you're measuring and your soft skills? And how are you determining that? You don't need a call recording platform. You need to be able to record calls and listen to them. Right. So, I mean, I always tell my kids have a book with you and pen and paper because they don't need Wi-Fi and they don't run out of batteries. So it is what it is. So if you don't have gong or chorus or anything else, you can still get on a zoom call and use your cell phone and record. It's very simple, right? But you have to know what it is you're looking to measure. So are you looking to measure questions? Are you looking to measure keywords? What does that look like? Use your ears. God gave us two of them for a reason, right? So, and Pete, this is where my Chicago comes in where I'm like, stop with the excuses and freaking get it done. Right. Oh, so, nice. I mean, so, it you just the, so you said the training's 45 minutes, then like, how many days is it? Yeah. So initial onboarding should be anywhere between two and four weeks, right? You want SDRs on the phone by the end of week one, and it's going to be a train wreck, right? And so, and that's okay because you want to be able to teach and then apply, right? And so that's where you have your sales skills matrix. You need to have a scorecard, right? And so Jamie, to your point, you do peer review, self-review and manager review, and you kind of triangulate some of that. So don't do one-on-ones that are only pipeline reviews all the time. You need to do those one-on-ones and do, we're going to do coaching and we're working on this specific skill, get very specific. Right now we're listening for questions. That's all we're listening for. We're listening for questions and the response from the prospect. So if it's two to four weeks, you, you launch them into the field and then when do you bring them back? Cause that's when they're really going to listen to you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How many of us have had that experience, right? So I agree with you on that. And so um, we encourage an ongoing education calendar where if you say, okay, we're going to onboard month one, week one, and we're talking about prospecting and asking questions, month two, week two is revisiting questions. So it's just an evergreen calendar that rinses and repeats. And I could never afford any of these uh, Frankenstacks that you guys are talking about. <laughs> the only thing I could do was rig up a, a chat bot because I was trying to capture all these uh, questions that were being asked so I could get a list of FAQs because, if, yeah. you know, I had a trainer that worked with me and I said, hey, if you could just eliminate these reoccurring questions and then do a training based on the most common ones, that's mm-hmm. what I expect out of you in training. Like, how do you capture and record that stuff after the first two to four weeks? Yeah, so if it's a new team, right? Listen to calls, record, get your sales. If you have solutions engineers, whoever's been talking to customers, do an interview, right? So many times we forget that piece. Um, Go to your social handles, right? All that good stuff. And then that too is iterative as you keep going. So that's why listening to calls is so important. However, that needs, however, that happens at the end of the day. Do you um, insist that uh, your clients have daily whips and role play every day and listen to calls every day? Do do you impose a structure on them or do you leave it to them to decide what they're going to do? 
initially, if, if teams aren't doing it, it's always better to make it mandatory to remove the decision. And then, so I'm, I'm kind of a fan of that, whatever it may be. So whether it's listening to calls, we teach a day in the life lesson basically, and then there's always kickoff and, and wrap up. So we should always make sure we have time to think and do retrospective work because we just don't at the end of the day sometimes. So to your point, Justin, sometimes we'll say, okay, during here's a standard agenda, follow that agenda to build a particular muscle. If you feel you don't need to do that anymore and you don't need to listen to calls every day, then maybe every other day, listen with a friend. There's, there's a variety of ways, but listening to calls is the non-negotiable. How you end up doing it after a while is negotiable. I'm cur- curious. I, I, I don't see inside sales teams other than the ones we build. I'm, I'm curious how many sales teams don't have a daily sales meeting and or don't have daily role-playing. Does that happen? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think to what Kevin was saying is there's a lot of you have a choice to make as a leader. You're going to either, you know, really be a leader and train and coach and establish that rhythm and cadence and that culture, or you're going to say, here you go. Bye. <laughs> so there's both. The analogy that I always use with people is, you know, when you go to the dentist every six months, what does the dentist always say to you? Justin, have you been flossing? <laughs> every and, time. And, and you're either in this category of people who floss on a nightly basis, sometimes twice a day, or you're in that category of, ah, no, but I know I should. And there's like, of the people out there, Justin and Dion, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are too. Like that they just fall into the category that I know I should do it. It's just too hard. And I always forget. It's like, fine, I'm going to kick your ass. Then if I have a team that's flossing their teeth regularly, I'm going to kick your ass. I think, I think a problem is a careless structure of management. The problem we see, particularly in smaller organizations is you have these people who are called sales managers and if you just call someone a sales manager without specifying exactly what their responsibilities are, they end up becoming some, they end up kind of tending towards being a middle manager. Yes. And we hate that uh, our, our rule is if there isn't a supervisor, you can't have a middle manager because otherwise the individual contributors are unsupervised. So mm-hmm. we don't want folks to be called managers. We want them to be called supervisors. And I think the implication of that is if, if your job title is supervisor and you're not walking up and down the line, listening to calls, run, running daily sales meeting, role-playing daily, then at, at least it should be obvious to the universe that you're not doing your damn job. <laughs> There's a lot of that for sure. And, you know, it's funny what's obvious to us, Justin, is just not for so many people. And I can't tell you how many sales leaders I've talked to who are like, I told them once, why do I have to keep repeating myself? And I'm like, oh, you don't have kids, do you? Okay, here, let me I break think, it down. I think I, I suspect part of the problem is, is introducing too many, too many trendy words, like mm-hmm. leader. I hate that word. Like th- these people aren't leaders, they're body supervisors. Like, like they're not, this is not Winston Churchill we're talking about. <laughs> he was a leader. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like why, why, why would we, I mean, I think it's perpetuating the problem. We, we, we need to find someone who's a good line manager. On the shop floor, we'd call him a foreman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is not a leader. You know, Jack Welsh is a leader. Elon's a leader. This is a supervisor. Yeah. And we're giving them license to run amok. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's not helping them and it's not helping the poor individual contributors who are unsupervised. Correct. So, so Dan, who brings you in? Because some companies, they're kind of uh, insecure to bring somebody else in because uh, if I have to bring in this consultant, why am I paying this leader uh, yeah. something like... Who, who has the guts to uh, do that? Uh, what, what level? Yeah, so it, um, it really depends on the person, Pete. Uh, but to your point, it's anywhere from a VP, CRO, uh, COO, right? And it's really when they start setting that table of we're going to bring in a coach, right? And we're going to bring in some somebody to bounce ideas off of and somebody to give you an extra set of hands. That seems yeah. to make it a little less threatening. Yeah. And so a lot of the organizations I work with, those, those are the folks, right? So organizations that um, have VPs, uh, senior VPs, CRO, um, chief operating officers that know they need to have a transformation and their team needs help. So, and I've worked with folks and organizations in tech and outside of tech, because a lot of what we do is fundamental work and helping the team. We train the trainer on deploying a system and a team and a program that works. What's your sweet spot? What size company? Yeah. So for us, we work anywhere 50 million and above. We worked with business units and organizations that are larger. And every time we do that, they go, Dion, this is great. Can we share this with another business unit? And I said, of course, for another engagement. Absolutely. Uh, Sorry. Why are the smaller companies below 50 million not a target for you? Yeah, we've worked with some and we will do that as well. And so, again, it really depends on mindset. Mm-hmm. Right? Are, are they ready to, to your point, Kevin, it's, it, there's a lot of discipline that goes into being good at something and individuals have to be able to take that leap. Right. I mean, I've had clients and I tell them that up front, like, Hey, listen, this isn't, there is no such thing as a silver bullet, right? You're not going to take a pill and all of a sudden all your health issues go away. That's not how this works. Huh. Right. There's, there's work. And so if you're ready to change your mindset and learn something new and I'll learn from you, then great. We should, we should work together. Mm-hmm. But if you're just going to do the same old thing and not, not make any changes, then your company shouldn't spend the money. Yeah. Yeah. Do you Is walk it, away a lot from deals? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do too. I do too. You, okay. you, if, if your pain isn't great enough and, and you're going to whine and moan after you pay me my big money, hey, <laughs> I, it's not worth my hassle. No. Yeah, does a does a burned out uh, sales rep make the best sales trainer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm missing the joke. There's no joke. I mean, a lot of companies do that. They take somebody that they're too scared to fire and they say, oh, well, you know, you've been here a long time. You're not motivated anymore. I'm going to make you a sales trainer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just crappy for everybody, right? And we live in such a litigious society and people just feel they can push back and say whatever they want all the time. It's so painful. Um, But people are afraid we're kind of back to the whole leader thing, right? Make a hard decision. Have the hard conversations. If you can't do that, then that's a problem. So then who makes a good sales trainer? Mm. Yeah. So I think from from a characteristic perspective is somebody who really wants other people to be good at what they do, 
right? And so somebody who likes to study, likes to share, likes to educate, right? Somebody who wants to invest in somebody else with a healthy boundary of, hey, if you're not going to do your work, I can't do mine. Mm-hmm. Do they have to show success in the, in the field in order to be a trainer to get that respect from the people they're training? I don't think so. I agree. I agree, Dion. Yeah, thanks. Because because at the end of the day, what, what was your, your construct was like, learn something, do, or what, what was it? Yeah, learn, teach, and apply. Yeah, that's all that matters. Like you want somebody who can then get those goals across. Who gives a rat's behind if they've actually sold before? Yeah. And, I've, and I've fallen prey. I've made that mistake, you know, myself. The best sales trainer that I ever worked with was a longtime high school teacher. And she was fantastic in curriculum design, getting the point across, certifying the salespeople, and then working very closely with my sales um, supervisors, Justin, my sales supervisors to go, hey, look, we taught them on this stuff. Now you need to listen to the gong calls and we need to need to like execute on the training. Once I send them over to you, some of the worst, worst sales trainers I've seen are the ones that are like Pete describing, which was they were in sales or customer service. They talk at you for, you know, two weeks straight, blah, 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 blah. Then unleash you onto the sales floor (laughs) and then go, I trained them. I don't know what the deal is. Well, come on. That's you're missing the point. Justin's Justin's been very uh, curiously quiet on that uh, question. You got any thoughts on that, Justin? In order to train, because no, no, they say I, if you I, can't do teach, and if you can't teach, teach gym. Well, I think in order to in order to teach, you need to have credibility, and I think there's two ways to get credibility. The ideal way to get credibility is to have credibility that comes from teaching. In other words, if you're a coach that successfully coached a number of teams to success, then that's the best kind of credibility. If if you're newer teaching, then um, it's certainly helpful if you have a track record, even for, for even where your own self-confidence is concerned. But I think if folks had a choice, they'd rather learn from someone who had a track record as a teacher yeah. uh, than learn from someone who had a track record as a doer, but not as a teacher. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the two are completely disconnected. Yeah, there can be both. I think. I agree. I think it's more about can can a trainer recognize the different personality traits and the different learning styles and connect with folks enough to try everything at our disposal to get people to be successful that want to be successful. Right. I mean, it's a very symbiotic relationship. Isn't that a recruiting thing? Ah, You're going to get me going on another uh, the, the, big, the, biggest, the biggest problem I see is folks aren't prepared to say no. 100%. Like we, we stole a term from manufacturing. We talk about non-negotiables. We have a list of things that are non-negotiable. You have to attend a whip meeting. You have to, if, you have to put your damn headset on. And just simple things, you know, um, but, but a general observation is there are a lot of people in supervisory positions who aren't prepared to say, no, that's non-negotiable. You can't do that. And when we put consultants into organizations, it, 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 the, the, the big difference between our consultants and a supervisor who they might be coaching is our consultants say no. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of shocking that you have folks in management positions who aren't comfortable saying no to their subordinates. Well, we live in a society where everybody has equal say. 
No, they don't. And to which I say, uh, no, (laughs) let me tell you. So when I tell my kids to do something, I'm like, the only thing you can say right now is yes, mom. And you need to go do it. Cause if you keep talking back, you're not going to like what happens. I can't say that to my employee, but right. Or the team. But what I can say is we're going to define our negotiables and non-negotiables. And this is how this works because don't make me check you because I will. But to your point, Justin, people are afraid to have that conversation because there's a very large sense in some cases of just entitlement, right? Yeah, well, those people who feel entitled more than anyone else need a slap on the back of the head. <laughs> like you, Justin. Like you. Totally. No. Yes. So, Dion, you've been a, a woman in sales leadership and a woman in software sales for a long time. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What? How did? How did you? You know? How are we doing? By the way, like you, you want to know? You want to know how she remained a woman? <laughs> <laughs> how did you do it? Well, she moved to Orange County, you know. So uh, no, like how? How are we doing? Like with uh, women in sales and women in sales leadership, and how did you do it? Yeah, I mean, I came up at a different time, right before, and so I mean, I grew up with dads and brothers and all that jazz, and I think. I, I don't know. I just, I never took any of it personally. There's a difference between men and women, right? From a biological perspective and how we think, right? And so I think they're just, it's that that's science, right? So we're just different, right? And my, my husband and I talk about it all the time. You're in, you're in California, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Our, our rules for the house are the same. Our what is the same? How we get there is different. Mm. Right. And so I think it's the same thing where if we can recognize and simply be aware, right, maybe the joke we're going to tell about something isn't appropriate. But I think, you know, I've heard it said before that people who are always offended are immature. And Hmm. so we can, and there's a difference between being offended and being hurt and being offended is a choice. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, that's really interesting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so people are entitled to have an opinion. I get to choose how I react to it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to, and literally I worked at companies where I was the only female in a tech company yeah. in leadership role, sorry, Justin. And uh, I would walk in and the, the talking would stop. Mm. I'm like, all right, cool, thanks. Mm-hmm. Clearly saying things that maybe I wouldn't appreciate hearing. So thank you for being considerate. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a level of understanding that needs to happen. It's not all about me as a female. It's about us as a team and showing respect and being courteous and, and just being polite and being civil. Mm-hmm. So those are expectations that I set for the team. And mm-hmm. that when I would talk to folk to, to hiring managers, I'm like, listen, that's those are the non-negotiables. Like just be a decent human and start there. Right. How are we doing in getting more women into software sales? Your your opinion. I've seen a trend for sure. I think there's still, there's still some ways to go as far as just leveling the playing field. Like, Hey, just, you know, being polite, being courteous, here's the standard. Nobody wants to hear about your Tinder date. What, right? what, do you mean, how are we do- <laughs> what do you mean? How are we doing? I mean, writing a different job description or. The, the no, I mean, like our, there's, Pe- there's people go into sales because they didn't get into whatever they studied in college. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> and why, yeah, does that, why, why does it matter? Are we trying to get more men into veterinary science? Why, yeah. why, why would it even matter? The, the top. Go, well, go ahead. Are we trying go to get ahead. more women into jail? Yeah. 
<laughs> See, and I agree with that too. I, I, I get it, but I don't where, why is it important, right? Why, why is it important that we have the first female United States president? Like I, I get it. And maybe that's me being ignorant on stuff. But at the end of the day, we want the best people for the job. Yeah, I think it's insulting. It's infantilizing women. Yeah. I, I, I disagree because I think that there, well, we've had guests that have said specifically that there are women that would love to be in sales, but they don't apply because they don't want to subject themselves to an overly uh, chauvinistic environment that is traditional software sales. So I, I, I don't think that it is, there, there may be situations where it, it is, you know, almost insulting in and of itself, you know, but I, but I, there is, uh, and I'm, there, there's an environment that is saying, hey, people want to be, be there, be in, in, but for either overt or, or, um, or. Um, I, I don't think this is a, a, a guy girl thing. I think it's a type of environment thing. I mean, the, if, if you've got a bunch of guys acting like bros in software sales, these guys grew up with mothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's not like they're incapable of communicating with people of the opposite sex or people of the opposite sex can't communicate with them. That's the, just the type of culture they've created. Correct. And there are women who are comfortable working in that culture. I come from Australia and, you, you know, I know a lot of Australian girls who enjoy working in that kind of environment because they take pleasure in telling the dirtiest of dirty jokes and, mm-hmm. you, you know, downing more beers than their, than their compatriots. Do you think that um, represents the majority? In Australia, it's 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 a very large minority. Um, yeah. I, my my observation would be, I you know I wouldn't want to work in that environment. Okay. And that's not because I'm a woman; it's just because I don't like working in that environment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there's a problem with the environment, if we're driving away talent, it doesn't matter what sex the talent is. The problem is that we're driving away talent with a with an unpleasant environment. We should fix the environment. It sounds to me like. Dion is the the level she wants to work with. The founder is still leading the company, right? Um, in some cases. Okay. Uh, well, fifteen million. I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but you know, the founder is still there. The culture is still there. The found, you know, the values of the company are still there. So when a company gets past the values that originally started the company, and they they fray from that, that's when companies get into problems. You get into these environment situations. Getting past that, Dion. I found this on the web. Wait, so, sorry, Siri. <laughs> getting, get, get, getting back to teaching, what is the optimal class size like? Because sometimes when you go on hiring binges, yeah. you know, you get a hundred people in a month, and you know, you'll need a sales trainer for, you know, the ups and downs of the recruiting cycle. Mm-hmm. What, what's the most people you think in an entry-level training class that one trainer can handle? Um, well, going back to kind of setup and culture, I think it just depends, right? So if you've got two people, sure, that works. Four, eight, 10, 12, doesn't really matter because you can teach and then break them into small groups, right? So it's kind of what training culture and environment do you want to create? And then how are you going to structure it based upon the people you have, right? Because the organization isn't going to say, hey, we've got room for 20 but we need 50, right? Because the organization and the CRO is like, hey, I need revenue and I need people in seats. So the training program should be able to flex to that hiring need. Can the same trainer teach the entry level and the advanced level? 
you probably not. Right. And so it just depends on the trainer. So, um, that's where we talk about going from training and teaching to maybe being a facilitator, right? When you're getting folks that are at an advanced expert stage, you're going to want to bring in some outside folks, right? Some outside training exercises and sales education and facilitate. Then how do you differentiate between the expert and the entry level if, if you have two people, people that weren't in sales before? Yeah, so you make it as objective as possible. So sales enablement, you get with your sales leadership, you walk out your sales skills matrix, and then you bring in HR and you talk about what is the quantifiable, how are we measuring this, right, which drives the KPIs. So it's 100% objective at the end of the day, you have to have your call scorecards, all that good stuff, right? So you have those lines on the road for people. Dion. What are the 10, 10 irrefutable laws of, uh, for sales professionals? Go. Yeah. Thank you. Treat it as a profession. Own your professional path. What's your why? You should have your own personal professional purpose statement. Mm-hmm. Communicate and collaborate. And I know, by the way, those are verbs. One-on-ones. Uh, skill development. What are you doing to get better every day? Day in the life. Are you planning your day? Is your day planning you? Uh, reflect. Make sure you give your, your brain time to process. Know your numbers. How many licks at the center of the Tootsie Roll pop, man? Like, what do you have to do to get there to be successful? I cannot go to the gym and do one sit up and expect washboard abs. I can't do 100 and expect that either, but that's not the point. Mm. Right. And then we finish off with communicate and collaborate, which again are verbs. So sometimes people forget that. Uh, for the entry level training, you say it's sometimes between two and four weeks. Yeah. Now, okay. So depending on your HR process, you'll have somebody come in and they're just not paying attention or they're not following along. Is there anything in place where you don't have to wait four weeks to move somebody along? Yeah. Communication so, yeah. to the company. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll talk about by the end of, and the, and so when you set up your onboarding program, you want to say by the end of week one, week two, week three, week four, these are the expectations and milestones for them to hit. And if they haven't done any of it, they're not hitting scores or not literally checking things off the checklist, right? It's that defensible position that says we have done everything we can to bring folks into the company and make it easy for them to get onboarded and they're choosing to not do it. So 30 day out clause at a minimum. And that would be on the onboarding paperwork at the beginning when they sign up. Hey, this is what's expected of you. So there's no surprise. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. I love it. Communicate, 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 communicate. So my son is on the autism spectrum. And this is actually good practice for all kids where I'm like, hey, buddy, I need you to go do, you know, do your bedtime routine, clean your room, take a shower, brush teeth. What did you just hear me say? <laughs> and so, oh, yeah. And so one of the things we do, Pete, to your point is, you know, you can't necessarily say that to an adult, right? They might find it insulting. Um, yeah, you can. E- email recap. We do. We do that too. But but so I like to practice what we preach, right? And we talk as salespeople. So we're like, hey, day one, we're talking about pre-call planning or we're doing this. So we do a lot of teach backs. All right. So in your own words, what did you just hear? In your own words, what's your aha moment? If somebody started tomorrow, how would you teach them what we just covered? Um, oh, I'm curious how much, uh, what's the mix of prepackaged education and um, in-person training or consulting? For me or for delivering? For you, for you. 
Oh gosh. Um, it really depends. So it depends on my client. So we'll talk about, we've got some videos and stuff and we can structure a program mm -hmm. and do a lot of train the trainer for folks. And so we'll, we'll put together a program like that, or we can put together a program where I would come in and um, do more of the leading and facilitating and showing and walking through things for them. Mm -hmm. And then in that case, they would record those videos and have them in their library for okay. future use. Cool. Dion, if uh, role plays are the most important, important things that you can do in training, is vision boards even more important than that? Or is that a recruiting thing? Because you talked about the reasons why they're there. Is that something yeah. they should do in training or they should already know why they're there before they go to training when they accept the job? As, as far as vision boards or role play or? I, I am doing this job to exchange my money for something that I want. I'm willing to put up with this crap because at the end of the, the, the period, I'm going to get this reward for me. Do they know what the reward is that they want? Is that your job or is that the manager's job, the, the HR's job? Where does, how does that come into play? Yeah, so that really comes in with their manager discussion, right? So we walk through career pathing and it's the if this, then that component, right? Um, but that's where we talk about, you know, what is your purpose statement? What do you want to do? We have people go through an annual planning exercise. What do you want to accomplish this year? Um, so we, we try to balance out kind of the headspace components. Like where do you come December 31st? What do you want your world to look like? And then we start reverse engineering our way into that. Yeah. What's the best way for uh, potential new clients to learn more about you? Uh, LinkedIn is always the best way to do it. There's a link to my calendar there. My cell phone's there. Connect with me. Send me a message. Happy to chat with anybody. All right. Hey, Dion, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Dion. Hey, on behalf of Jamie, Justin, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. Hey, if you like what you heard today, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Each new subscriber is like magic fairy dust that turns 30 viewers into 3,000. And then we have some Patreon love to give out from our business supporters. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm. Smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Iron Man. So you got to check out Demand Farm if you haven't. Malin's got game over there. Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brunt and say, Big Pete sent you. We'd also like to say, hey, thanks, Aaron J. and Trent S. for their support. It's a real ego boost. And if you have the means out there, Patreon slash Sassholes, you can buy us a beer or you can have us down for an hour and beat you up to go over your budget before you actually ask for your budget. Check it out at Patreon slash Sassholes. Hey, we thank you all for listening. Cue the music.